Welcome to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, where we discuss all things wellness. I'm Eleni Welch, nutritionist. And I'm Kay Boyer, health enthusiast. Hello, welcome back, Renegades. Hello, Renegades. I'm excited for another good episode. So today on the Renegade Nutrition Podcast, we have the privilege of having Dr. Julia Buchkina with us. I'm super excited. Dr. Buchkina is a functional medicine doctor in the Iowa City area, and I had the opportunity to sort of intern shadow her right after I finished my nutrition program for a few months. And I think I learned more in those three months than I learned almost in two years of school. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) I mean, you know what I mean? Like about real life people, because in school, when you're training in nutrition, you kind of learn the like textbook pieces in a vacuum. Yes. Like this is what, you know, somebody with this presentation has, and then this is what their test results will look like. And with Dr. Ruchkin, I was like, oh no, this is what a real person looks like. And everything doesn't really line up the way you expect it to. And their test results don't always make sense with what you, their presentation is. Anyway, I think I learned so much in those couple of months. And so I'm so excited to have you on with us today to help impart your wisdom to the masses. Yeah. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Exciting. Okay. Tell us your origin story. Why did you want to become a medical doctor? Yeah, this is a great question. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about this. When did I decide to be a doctor and and why? You know, I was thinking back and like, I remember being seven years old and telling my mom I wanted to be an astronaut. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Like this, this little drawing that I made of me in an ass in a spacesuit and, you know, I was flying to space. And so I'm not sure when that jump happened. <laughs> I love that though, because my seven-year-old dream was to be, and I literally have it documented in my journal, a bird lady. (laughs) (laughs) And you are now. (laughs) I don't know what that meant, but that was great. I wanted to be a bird lady. (laughs) Manifestation. Yeah. Astronaut is is a good goal. Yeah. yeah. Seven. So I've, I've always been interested in nutrition though. Um, and, and I do remember kind of a pivotal moment for me growing up was when I was 12, I stole the copy um, from my parents' library, Francis Morlepay's Diet for a Small Planet, which I think a, a lot of people, you know, kind of interested in health and nutrition read that book at some point and it was formative for them. Um, and, and so at that point, you know, I was just very interested in kind of the ethical, moral, and ecological reasons to um, kind of seek out a, a more plant-based lifestyle. And I did become a vegan when I was 12. Um, wow. I, I actually followed a vegan diet for almost 10 years. Wow. And, um, and so I was really committed to this whole um, kind of plant-based thing. And I dabbled in juicing and cooking and baking. And, you know, it was always kind of just like this mystery to my parents because I grew up in a household where we didn't cook. We were a fast food convenience family. I ate cereal with milk for breakfast every day, you know, grilled cheese for lunch, pizza yep. and fast food for dinner. And, um, and unfortunately, a lot of that didn't change when I became a vegan. Like I just kind of switched out the, the vegan junk food for you know, the, the fast food that contained animal products. And so I really wasn't the healthiest again, unfortunately, even though I, I remember just 
kind of having this vision of myself, like this is going to be so healthy for me and I'm just going to be the the healthiest person ever. And, um, you know, it was, it was kind of an eye-opening thing then years later when, you know, I, I went to college and kind of found myself just being 15 or 20 pounds heavier than I really should have been. I was tired all the time, um, had a lot of brain fog and just found it kind of difficult to, to get through the day when, gosh, I, I should have been, you know, in the prime of my life. And I didn't have any major diagnosed health issues at that point, but I could definitely tell that, you know, the, the plant-based junk food option really was not serving me well. And so, um, I guess you could say the, the interest though, really started just kind of in, in this basis of, you know, nutrition is, a, a really important foundation for lifelong health. And so at least kind of that, that seed was planted early on that I knew food had a big part of, you know, the, just setting the, the stage for chronic disease or lack thereof. Yeah. Yeah. What, wow. What did you go to college? What were you going to be um, when you first went? So to college? I, yeah, I, I did kind of go at least into my freshman year with the mindset of, you know, something in science, um, something with biology. And it was my sophomore year that I decided to definitely commit to the pre-medical route. But at that point, I do think I was, I had a mind more towards naturopathy. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking at schools, you know, out East, because in Iowa, there aren't any ND schools for uh, naturopathic doctors. Right. Um, And then, you know, there was kind of this heart to heart moment. I remember in my junior year where my parents sat me down and said, you know, if if you are going to pursue medicine, we really want you to do conventional medicine. I think that you're going to have the widest array of opportunities financially. It's going to give you, you know, the option to still explore integrative medicine. And at the time I remember thinking, you know, gosh, what do they know? I'm, you know, I just need to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but then after doing my own research with it and talking to some other colleagues and mentors, I decided, yeah, you know, maybe this really is the best way to go. And and I did end up taking the MCAT, applying to medical school and and I got in. And so, you know, it, it, to me seemed like really the, the smartest investment of my energy to be able to have the broadest Mm -hmm. um, education to really be able to then kind of specialize, you know, in, in the natural field later, which I knew was always an option. Yeah. yeah I think that's super smart. What a good way to, cause then now you're in, in that bigger system and then you can bring that natural into it. I think that's amazing. Yeah. Especially cause as I've talked about on this podcast, there's so many restrictions, you know, in the field yeah. of nutrition and natural yeah. medicine that any, license you could have like a medical doctor or dietitian is really helpful because it does enable you to practice on your mm-hmm. own and then practice the way that you want to still with extra training. Yeah. So that was smart. Brilliant. Um, Brilliant. and how many years have you been in, um, on, with your practice now? I started my practice upstream functional medicine in 2016. Okay, good. So you ended up pursuing the conventional medicine route and did you go into a specific field of medicine? And then at what point did you make the branch into natural medicine and decide, yep, I still want to pursue that path? 
Yeah, I went to the University of Iowa and got my dual degree in um, MD, MPH, so I'm also a master in public health. And um, I went to residency at the university as well, did my residency in family medicine. And then after my residency, I ended up taking a year off um, at the birth of my first child. And so there was just kind of a natural transition point. Um, and, you know, had some just time to kind of dabble. And I remember during that year off, I went to a community lecture by Terry Walls in Iowa City. And so many yeah. people know her story and are familiar with her book that she wrote, The Walls Protocol. And, th but this was kind of predating all of that. And I remember, you know, at the time, just sitting in the back of this room full of people, you know, all very interested in, in nutrition and natural health. And just, even though, you know, I'd already been to medical school, kind of heard all of, you know, the, the different, um, you know, ways that, that physiology can be impacted and chronic disease can happen. You know, none of that really included nutrition. And so the stuff that I was hearing her say was like just as jaw-dropping to me as everybody else in the audience. And I remember just having such an aha moment at that point saying, there is a different way to do this. Here's this medical doctor with years of experience, you know, up in front of the room describing this really miraculous story, right? I mean, she just had her life completely turned around and impacted positively by functional medicine. And so then kind of from that point on, she did become a mentor to me and really encouraged me to go through with the functional medicine certification. Um, you know, at that point, then that, that next year, when I came back um, from maternity leave, you know, I, I went to the Institute for Functional Medicine's um, inaugural course. It's a week-long course where you, you know, go out on location. Of course, now everything can be done virtually, um, but at the time, you know, everything had to be in person. So I remember flying out to Oregon and I was away from my baby and my husband for a week. And it was such a big deal, but I remember just sitting in the conference hall from like 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. just learning all of this information that I didn't learn in medical school. And, you know, that was the next big aha moment. Like, wow, there's, there's like two completely different yet kind of complementary ways to practice medicine. And, you know, as I then progressed through the rest of my certification training, you know, doing my board certification and, um, and, you know, really getting into the nitty gritty day to day of being a regular family practice doctor, I kind of had these, these two divergent um, paths in my mind, like I would see a patient and, and say, okay, well, this is what their disease state is. And these are the medications they're on. And this is, you know, how well things are going. And then here's their lifestyle. And, you know, in a 15 minute visit with a patient, you don't really get a, a ton of time to explore all of that or talk about the ways that you can maybe change what you're doing. And so, you know, I always felt like I had to slip that in somehow. And, you know, the, the way that I managed it in the beginning was I just started taking all of these different handouts that were provided, you know, through the certification program for the Institute for Functional Medicine and just giving them to the patient at the end of the visit, I'd say, okay, you know, your blood sugar is higher than it was three months ago. We're going to go up on the medication this time. 
but before you see me again in three months, I want you to read this handout and think about how you can start changing your diet because I think it's going to help. And, you know, sometimes it would, it would end up in the trash bin or the recycle bin. And, you know, I would ask them about it at the next appointment. They'd say, what paper? And, you know, we'd have to keep going down the medical route, but some of the patients really started taking notice and started making changes. And as I saw kind of those first changes, it really sparked my interest in, I need to keep going with this. Like there's really something to this and people are going to benefit from it. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. How cool that you could have the toolbox with both like, you know, how the pharmaceutical works on their body, you know, what's going on, but then have the toolbox of the natural and for you to be able to like, um, see how those interact with each other. Like that, that's awesome. But your toolbox has both. I mean, this is brilliant. <laughs> like, and I've always appreciated that approach, you know, when I interned with you too, is that you have the toolkit of being able to know, okay, so when you need to bridge the gap from here to here, sometimes a medication is what that person needs. Cause maybe they're not ready to take all of those life-changing steps. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they're, they're too sick and they need to start feeling better first, and then they can start eating better and exercising better. So I always really appreciated that combination because I think, you know, we should never be afraid of using medication because it does have its time and its place. Yeah. And then you can yeah. help people yeah. get to, okay, now that you're feeling a little bit better, yeah. let's start working in the lifestyle changes and actually get to the root of the cause of what's creating these symptoms. Cause right now we're covering them up so you can feel good enough to do something about it. Yes. But you know, exactly. yeah. So yeah. I loved that combination. That's brilliant. Um, and now stepping back a little bit too, um, with your story, I just thought of this, that you went vegan, right? 12 to 22 or so. Okay. Mm-hmm. This just made me think, where are you now on that journey? Oh yeah. I completely flipped. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, Cause you were and, feeling kind of slumpish and, or, you know, like the, you said that you gained the 10 or 15 pounds that you didn't feel. So that kind of was like alerting you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, my dietary journey is, is just kind of this really kind of tangled web, just of all the different things I've tried. One of the, um, the things that I committed to just for myself early in my functional medicine journey is, you know, any dietary recommendations that I ever make to my patients, I want to make sure I have tried them myself to make sure that number one, you know, I've, I've experienced what they're going to experience. Mm -hmm. And number two, you know, to see the effect on myself, I think that it it is so individual, um, you know, for every person what nutrition plan feels best to them. And then the same nutrition plan that feels best or gives the best clinical outcome in a given moment may not be the right nutrition plan for that same person, like five or 10 years from that point. So it, you know, there's really no one right diet for anybody ever. And, um, I've experienced so many interesting things on all of the different elimination diets that I have tried just in my functional medicine journey. Right now, I would say I'm, I'm mostly paleo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I have found that I feel best when I don't eat grains. Um, I love vegetables. I love meat. I, you know, there's really um, no major restrictions that I, I put on myself right now. Um, other than I know that I don't feel great on a high carb diet. And so I tend to 
you know, really make sure that I'm getting enough fat and protein with every meal and some fiber from vegetables. And um, that, that seems to work best for me. But uh, along the way, you know, I've, I've done the autoimmune paleo. I probably felt the very best on my 10 month stint on that. Um, and I mean, that was probably the most educational informative 10 months of you know, the last 10 years for me. Um, just in what I learned about my body, I've done GAPS, I've done um, specific carbohydrate diet, I've done Whole30 several times. Um, you know, the first thing I did actually when I finished my, or I was going through my um, functional medicine certification, uh, which is a two-year process, I did the autoimmune paleo diet for a month. And I remember it was November and I don't know why I decided to remember, <laughs> like, remember, <laughs> you remember purposely ha- making sure I got to host Thanksgiving that November Mark, so that yeah. I just, I made the entire autoimmune paleo Thanksgiving. I had everybody over and I remember it going really well. Actually, I don't think anybody, you know, complained, Oh, what is this weird food? You know, it just looked like regular turkey and stuffing and, and pumpkin pie to everybody else. But then of course I knew that I'd used all AIP ingredients and, um, you know, the, the changes that I experienced during that 30 days were just really, really amazing. And I remember the, the first thing that was notable was just energy level. You know, I'd just been walking around really fatigued and tired, but I figure, well, I'm working like 80 hours a week. I mean, that's pretty normal for a doctor. I'm taking call. I've got young children. Um, but then all of a sudden, two weeks into taking out, you know, these otherwise healthy foods, right? Like eggs are healthy, nuts and seeds are healthy, you know, all these things that we're told to remove on AIP can at first glance seem really counterintuitive in terms of, well, but you don't want to take out those healthy foods, right? But for me, they were making me sick. And so after two weeks, it was kind of like this fog lifted and my brain was super clear and I had tons of energy. I wasn't falling asleep at 7 p.m. on the couch anymore. It was like, I'd look at the clock and it was 10 p.m. and oh, I need to go to bed. So, um, you know, that if I hadn't experienced that myself, you know, I, I would be much less likely to recommend that as an intervention for my patients. But having lived through it, it's really easy to say, you haven't tried this. It's really worth a try, especially for people with autoimmunity. Yeah, that's awesome. I know. What I'm going to have to look into that one. Um, That's awesome. I also um, gave up meat for a couple years because I, or maybe like one year because I saw it on a on a documentary or something. And I felt so weak after that year that I was like, oh no, I need to eat meat again. And I noticed that my energy levels are so much better with meat on it. And I know meat now and all the documentaries are kind of getting some flack, but I'm like, well, my body needed it. I really tried to not eat it, but I needed it, you know, but yeah. And, you know, I think everybody has to experiment with that because some people really do feel best with more plants Some people feel best full carnivore even, which I know is, is probably one of the more controversial dietary approaches right now. But, um, I've had people tell me that, you know, they have never felt better their whole life, you know, other than when they're just eating a carnivore diet, like not even any vegetables. I have to say, I lean way more, like my plate is mostly meat and then less veggies. And even last night, I literally had chicken, bacon, and hamburger meat all for my dinner. And I, and I was like, Kevin, or that's my husband's name. I was like, I can't even stop. It tastes so good to my body. And I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. eat it all. And I just am responding to what I know actually makes me feel good. 
Yeah. yeah. I love that. I mean, I'm all for intuitive eating, like just really listening to what your body is telling you feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. So, so when we worked together, um, your, your area of passion and specialty really seemed to be sort of in that autoimmune, um, department. And, mm-hmm. and I remember, I I'm sure I'm not remembering the clinic that sent a patient to you, but I think somebody sent a patient to you all the way from like a clinic in New York or something, right. That this person had been suffering from this autoimmune condition and they referred them to your practice. And I was like, wow, she's sort of nationally known for this. So (laughs) how did you end up focusing in on that, on the autoimmune conditions and what drove you to that? And yeah, tell us a little bit about your journey there. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of functional medicine physicians kind of come to specialize or be interested in what they do because of their own experience, which, you know, it kind of relates back to many conventional doctors don't stumble upon functional medicine unless they're in kind of their own medical crisis. And then if conventional medicine can't help a conventional doctor, I mean, you're desperate for anything, right? I mean, we're no different from anybody else. So um, when I was an attending physician um, at the family practice clinic, the three years between residency and starting my current functional medicine practice, um, I really, you know, got burned out. I was kind of practicing full spectrum family medicine with the exception of caring for patients in the hospital. So I was in the clinic um, and and I was working part-time, but part-time to a physician is really pretty much full time for a regular person. And yeah. so, you know, I was seeing like 20, 25 patients in the clinic every day, um, all the way from babies, up to elderly, I saw pregnant women, and then I took call in labor and delivery. And, you know, if I had a personal patient who went into labor, I mean, at any given moment, like I, I knew my pager could go off at one or 2am in the morning, like I just always had to have a bag packed and be ready to have to, you know, just get up and leave and go back go to the hospital. And so lots of sleepless nights, lots of stress, lots of pressure to um, see a certain number of patients. And during that three years, you know, I actually gradually developed the symptoms of three separate autoimmune diseases myself. And so I um, started to have um, elevated TPO antibodies, which is a sign of Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Um, I developed bloody stools and lots of abdominal pain and cramping, a sign of inflammatory bowel disease. Um, and then Raynaud's phenomenon and erythema nodosum, which is a, a painful skin condition that's, uh, both of them are actually associated with lupus and then a number of other rheumatologic diseases. Wow. And, you know, physicians are the most stubborn patients. Like I, I, I had my lab work tested. I knew exactly what these symptoms meant but I did not want to be diagnosed with them. Like I just really did not want to check those boxes. And so I, I never saw anybody about these symptoms other than, um, you know, my primary care doctor did some labs confirmed. Yep. Yeah, it looks like things are going this direction wow. and asked me if I wanted a referral. And I said, Nope, Nope, I'm good. And so, you know, I, I just knew that this lifestyle, you know, the, the job that I had was going to lead me, you know, whether it was a year from then, five years from then, 10 years from then, like I was going to have these three diseases, these three autoimmune conditions. And I did not want them. You know, I, I knew what the conventional treatment for them was. It's, um, you know, disease, it's basically 
immune suppressants. You know, it's it's really heavy prescription medications to dial down the immune system and make sure that it stops attacking your body. But in taking those medications, you know, you assume a lot of risks and you know, you're more at risk for contracting any cold or flu going around. The risk of cancer goes up. You know, there are just a lot of things to consider in taking those treatments. And I knew that if I could use functional medicine to prevent me from getting to the point where a rheumatologist could check off all of the boxes that would qualify me for whatever diagnosis required those medications, you know, I knew that now was the time. And if I didn't act, it was going to be my health on the line. And so, you know, after applying functional medicine principles to my own case and basically putting all three of these issues into remission, you know, I, I was convinced that everybody needed to know about this, that, you know, this, this needed to be something that people with autoimmune disease learned about and had access to because it's not something that is shared within conventional medicine. And we're just starting to get, you know, some of the research on this with nutrition interventions like this and what the clinical outcomes are. And until we amass all of that research data and keeping in mind that that research data can take 10 to 15 years to trickle its way down to conventional, you know, recommendations for certain disease conditions, you know, it, it, it's, kind of like time is of the essence. And, you know, if, if you don't want to get to that point of developing a full-blown autoimmune disease, functional medicine is the best prevention. And then likewise with, with people who do have autoimmune disease already, you know, I've seen lots of cases where people using functional principles are able to put it into remission, which is just really exciting. Yeah. That's wow. Right. For really quick for our listeners, can you do a quick synopsis of what like conventional and functional medicine, kind of what that is? Um, and then tell me some of your functional medicine tricks you did for your own body. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. So I look at functional medicine as being under the umbrella of integrative holistic medicine. And that can mean a lot of different things, but the way I kind of differentiate it is functional medicine has more of an eye toward root cause approaches rather than kind of the conventional approach of giving a pill for every ill. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, you know, in functional medicine, we were not against giving a pill for every ill. I mean, if we can reduce symptoms and improve function, you know, any, in any way possible, we will do it as a temporizing measure, but that doesn't mean we stop looking for, you know, what led to developing this disease in the first place. And so looking at nutrition, looking at, do you have a sedentary lifestyle? Are there um, stresses that, you know, are, are essentially being transmuted into physiologic symptoms, which I see physical symptoms of stress probably more often than anything else as a root cause. Wow. Um, yeah. And then things like environmental toxins. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I I've seen that too. I've seen people that eat healthy and do all the right things, but they're still sick and they don't know why. And then we look at their life and they're stressed out. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And even things like toxic relationships or just lack of purpose or for fulfillment in their life. You know, if somebody is stuck in kind of a rut with a job they don't like, or, you know, with, 
a partner who is abusive or just, you know, doesn't match with their values and kind of sense of life purpose. I mean, that can be physically damaging. You know, I've seen it cause disease. And um, for as much as we talk about nutrition and stress and toxins, we probably don't do as good of a job as we could investigating things like, you know, relationships and joy and purpose and fulfillment because they're so important. But they're also the hardest things to address, right? Like the biggest thing for me was as grateful as I am for my experience being a regular, you know, family practice doctor, it was killing me. And it was, it was a huge, huge decision for me to leave that job. You know, it was not an easy financial decision to make. I knew I was going to take a pay cut. I knew I didn't have any educational um, training in business. Like I, I didn't know how to run a medical practice before I just dove in and started running one. Um, but it was the most important thing for my health that I ever could have done. And, and that alone was probably even more important than the nutrition change. Wow. That's so awesome. with the dietary changes um, and then the lifestyle change, where did the job switch kind of happen within that time frame? Like when did the dietary changes start and how did you feel? How soon did you start feeling better after making the dietary changes? And then when did that job change happen? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So they were about a year apart. So I, I started making the nutrition changes at the same time that I started thinking about, you know, could I actually start my own practice? How would this work? Um, and you know, the, the way that I know that it's so important that I actually made that shift occupationally is because after 10 months of following the AIP diet, which was the most kind of helpful thing for my symptoms, I had recurrence of a number of those symptoms after going off of the diet. And it really wasn't until I left the family practice job and started my own clinic that all of those symptoms went into remission. Wow. So as long as you stayed on the diet, you didn't have the symptoms, but you still Mm -hmm. had that lifestyle factor. So as soon as you moved away from the diet, instant kind of sounds like the disease just all came back. All those symptoms came back. And then once you made that lifestyle change, that really was part of the root of it. And then you could start to relax on that diet. Exactly. So now I don't follow the AIP diet and I don't have any of those symptoms. Wow. That's so how I've been able to regain that resilience, which is the goal. You know, whenever yeah. I'm working with a patient and we talk about, you know, how long do, do you need to follow this nutrition plan that is working for you? And in general, I, I like to make sure that people follow it for at least six months because the immune system turns over completely in a six month period, just like our skin cells left every seven days, we get a new fresh layer of skin the immune cells take longer to turn over in the body about six months for all the different immune cell lines. And if you follow a nutrition plan for that period of time, generally at that point, then you are able to reintroduce rotationally, you know, some of the things that you were sensitive to before without any, any issues. And of course it's very individual and people just have to, you know, listen to their bodies and, kind of honor what they're being told, but to kind of get back to, you know, the difference between, um, conventional functional and integrative holistic medicine. You know, I think functional medicine to me is just good medicine. Like it's, it's the medicine that 
if doctors had time to practice and just a little bit more training and lifestyle, you know, we, we'd be able to address it all. We'd be able to really look at taming the symptoms, but then also using just kind of, you know, the, the process that we are taught to use in functional medicine of looking at the different biological systems and how they're connected. So we can look back and see, you know, is, is nutrition an issue? Are toxins an issue? Is stress an issue? And how do we address it? Whereas I do feel like having been through both trainings, you know, I'm board certified in both integrative holistic medicine and then certified in functional medicine. The training for integrative medicine was much more along the lines of that pill for every ill, like conventional medicine, which sounds weird, but it's, it's really not a drug. It's just like an herb or vitamin for every yeah. ill with that same goal of symptom management. And there's not as much of a, um, of a focus on, well, let's really dig deep and figure out what, you know, what was the root cause contributing to this or root causes. Sure. Wow. Yeah. And you were always so good at explaining this. I loved listening to you explain autoimmune disease to your patients. Um, when I worked with you, can you explain for our listeners, what is an autoimmune disease and how does it begin? And what are some examples of autoimmune disease? Cause there's, there's hundreds and some of them might surprise people to learn, oh, that's actually an autoimmune condition. They may not have heard that before, but yeah, tell us the, how they, how an autoimmune condition can begin, what might cause it and, and how does it work? Yeah. Yeah. This is a great question. Um, so first of all, just some examples of autoimmune diseases, you know, the typical ones that we think of are like multiple sclerosis, lupus, psoriasis. Um, but then a lot of the, the ones that were kind of coming out with new research showing that actually it seems to also be autoimmune when previously we didn't think it was autoimmune were things like asthma, um, allergies, um, endometriosis. And, you know, one that was most surprising for me when I read the research a few years back was, um, atherosclerosis, you know, the calcification or hardening of the arteries. Many people mm. just associate, um, you know, heart attacks and cardiovascular disease, uh, with metabolic causes, but we're finding that that seems to be autoimmune as well. And so what an autoimmune disease is, is it's when the, you know, normal functioning immune system becomes too active against your own cells. And so, you know, a normal functioning immune system's job is to kind of be the gatekeeper and make sure to defend the body from any kind of outside external threat like um, viruses, bacteria, yeast, um, parasites, you know, anything that is not ourselves that is trying to get in and harm us in some way. And autoimmunity occurs when that immune system becomes dysregulated and starts turning errantly on itself. And usually there are certain um, antibodies that are produced by the immune system cells that then are directed against a certain organ system or a certain tissue in the body. So for example, um, with like rheumatoid arthritis, the antibodies are directed against the joint tissue. Um, with multiple sclerosis, the antibodies are directed against the myelin sheath that you know, surrounds the axon, um, the, the nerve cells. And so with each um, named autoimmune disease, there's usually 
an antibody test, not always, but usually an antibody to a certain organ that can be tested to see if that autoimmune process is happening. And so what we know in the functional arena from um, the research of Alessio Fasano at Harvard, um, who started publishing on this in around 2010, um, the cause of autoimmunity is kind of a triad of things. And so in order to develop an autoimmune disease, you have to have the genetic predisposition for it. You have to have some sort of environmental trigger. And then the third and critical thing is you have to have a way for the genetics to communicate with the environment or essentially for the environmental exposure to flip on your genetic predisposition like a switch. And that is intestinal permeability or you know, sometimes referred to as leaky gut. Now, of course, if you go to your regular doctor and you say, oh, my functional medicine doctor says I have leaky gut, they're, you know, they're, they're going to maybe roll their eyes or say that doesn't exist. And you know, that's not a thing. Um, but we do know it's a thing. It's, it's absolutely a thing. Um, the, the research on intestinal permeability, you know, goes back years and years. And um, a lot of what we know about intestinal diseases or inflammatory bowel conditions, uh, it relates to doing experiments to actually induce intestinal permeability in rodents like mice and rats to be able to study how we can then heal those conditions. The problem right now is that there's really no drug to treat intestinal permeability. If we had a drug to treat intestinal permeability, you know, regular doctors would be talking about this all the time because if you know there was a, a drug that you could prescribe for a patient in a 15-minute visit to treat intestinal permeability, that would be probably the most effective way to either prevent or heal autoimmunity. Mm-hmm. because in order for autoimmunity to be present, you've got to have that permeable intestine where the epithelial cells either are not adjoined together as tightly as they usually would be, or there's frank damage to the cellular lining of the, the intestinal barrier. So there's a great paper for anybody who is interested in you know reading the, the research that I'm talking about. Um, there's a great paper that Alessio Fasano published and it was either 2010 or 2011, um, but he talked about zonulin, which is a protein um, that kind of regulates intestinal barrier function. And it's called the biological door to inflammation, autoimmunity, and cancer. And it was such an eye-opening paper for me to read because, you know, besides needing a leaky gut to become autoimmune, you also kind of open this gateway to cancer as well, which you know all, all of the the dollars devoted to cancer research over the last 30, 40 years, you know, they're really not making as much headway as you know we would hope they would for, for the research dollars that have been invested. Like we really still this much time on don't have cancer figured out. And to know that the root cause of cancer is intestinal permeability as you know, just a, a necessity, like you cannot get cancer unless you have intestinal permeability based on this theory. Wow. And so it's not yeah. just about the genetics. It is definitely, you know, part of it. And then environment is definitely part of it as well. But in order for the two to interact, you've got to have this permeable intestinal lining. And if we can focus on that, which, you know, that's kind of the primary thing I do in my patients with autoimmunity is we really focus on that intestinal lining and how we can, you know, repair, rebuild, 
and kind of fortify that, that barrier function so that the symptoms are, are mitigated. Wow. Are those, are some of those things would be like, watch what you eat and then try to de-stress. And is that kind of along those lines of what someone would do for prevention? Definitely a big part of it. Yeah. And then, you know, there are some, some specific nutrients and, um, and supplemental interventions that we can use to help heal a leaky intestinal lining as well. And and so for most autoimmune patients, those are pretty uh, important to include at least in the initial protocol, if not to take every day preventively for the rest of your life. Wow. Wow. And can you tell us some of that connection between with the leaky gut, why is diet important? And why does something like the autoimmune protocol work to help with an autoimmune disease? Yeah. The foods that are removed on the autoimmune protocol are specifically taken out because each of them contain either some sort of chemical or anti-nutrient that is known to either worsen or um, directly cause intestinal permeability. And so an example would be egg whites. So eggs are taken out on the autoimmune protocol and egg whites contain an enzyme called lysozyme that uh, is known to cause permeability for some people. Another example would be nightshade vegetables. So that would be the tomato, um, eggplant, pepper, uh, meaning like bell peppers, spicy peppers, and then white potatoes. And so those, um, those plants all contain saponins, which chemically kind of reorganize the cell at the intestinal barrier so that it, it sounds really graphic, but it's akin to basically poking holes in the intestinal lining when you eat a lot of them, um, especially if you have genetic predispositions to being sensitive to them. Um, and so, you know, all of these foods that are taken out have some sort of chemical or anti-nutrient in it that kind of, you know, was involved in the thinking behind the, the design of the diet. And so when you take all those things out that damage the, the gut for six months, you put in nutrients that are going to build the gut back up and, and heal it. And then you retrain the immune system by eating anti-inflammatory foods, making sure that you're avoiding you know, any other foods that you might know you're sensitive to anyway. You just give the whole body a rest. You know, the immune system just calms down beautifully. And usually within four to six weeks, if people are going to respond to it, they start to feel that improvement. They, you know, get that, that clarity of cognition, they get energy, less pain and inflammation. Life is just good because, you know, you're firing on all cylinders, like the immune system gets to just reallocate some of its resources. If you, you know, can imagine an inflamed immune system just sending all of its troops to the border of the small intestine to kind of just stand guard for every meal that's coming in because every meal seems to be causing inflammation. When you re- remove that inflammation, the immune system gets to send the troops back to you know, housework duty. You get to do all of the regular functions that your immune system should be doing on a, a daily basis. And then all of a sudden, if you, know, you, you get an exposure to let's say it's gluten, which is such a common um, kind of instigator of inflammation for people with autoimmune disease, 
you eat a piece of bread or you have a bowl of pasta or you know something else where there's just a large amount of this antigenic exposure, whatever the protein is that you know is causing the inflammation, in this case gluten, comes into the gut. If your body is off, you know, doing its housekeeping, all of a sudden it's not gonna be as ready as it previously was, potentially when all the troops were just lined up at the border waiting for the gluten to come in. So now this is what happens when you reintroduce a food after being on an elimination diet and then you know putting it back in, all of a sudden you might get more inflammation than when you were eating that food maybe every day previously. And that's diagnostically how elimination diets work is they allow you to unmask inflammation that was always there, but was kind of quieted down or blunted a little bit because your immune system was used to it. So now we've kind of shown the body what it's like to just function with all cylinders firing. And then you muck up the gears by putting in whatever this food is and things might go haywire. And so I always tell people to watch for really anything new or different, but certainly, you know, any new rashes, headaches, joint pain, um, you know, any of their previous symptoms that might have calmed down in the, you know, during the elimination diet, if those flare, you know, that can really be a sign that, yeah, this food was always causing a little bit of inflammation and it definitely needs to be avoided. Wow. I'm, I'm so interested in this. Um, so I'm thinking, okay, you need to do this. But then I thought about taking away eggs and how sad I would be, but I was like, okay, you just got to discipline yourself for those four to six weeks, put it back in and see how you feel. Cause in the long run, it's worth it. So for our listeners, I don't know. I was like, imagine them hearing like no eggs and they're like, no, no, ma'am, I'm eating eggs, but you know, you gotta just have the discipline and, and, and see what foods, how they make you feel in the long run. And I'm going to try that. I'm going to, I haven't ever questioned eggs in my life. And now I'm going to question my eggs. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, it, it's, it's not a bad food for everybody. And one thing that I caution people against is, you know, kind of getting into this thinking of good foods versus bad foods, Hmm. um, or like compliant and non-compliant foods. I don't like the word compliance in medicine. Like, um, historically it, it seems like doctors love talking about, well, my patient's non-compliant or ah. you know, talking about kind of this like phenomenon of being naughty or just deciding not to follow the recommendations. Yep. And um, I think there's just a lot of like stigma and judgment associated with that. But mm-hmm. the way that I encourage my patients to approach any kind of elimination diet is, you know, whatever food you're about to put in your mouth is either going to heal you or teach you. And that's something that I did not make up myself. I got that um, from Phoenix Helix, Eileen Laird, if anybody listens to her podcast on autoimmunity, you know, she's somebody with rheumatoid arthritis who has responded also you know, very well to the autoimmune protocol and has written a book about it. But, um, you know, she, she, I remember explained on one of her podcasts, how she made the decision to eventually go on medication for her rheumatoid arthritis. And, you know, she had a lot of hesitancy about it. She, um, just really had tried to avoid going on medication, started having some frank degeneration of the joints. And then, you know, consciously decided she wanted to do everything she could to reduce you know, the destruction happening in the joints. And so, when she started taking the medication, she developed the mantra of, you know, this medication will either teach me or heal me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great way to reframe really any intervention that you do, because there's a true phenomenon of this nocebo effect. We've all heard of the placebo effect mm-hmm. where, you know, if, if you're 
taking a, a drug, even if it's a sugar pill, and you expect that it will have a positive benefit in your body, just taking a sugar pill can actually produce positive symptoms. Well, likewise, if you're afraid of something happening when you take a pill or any kind of intervention, that mindset can actually produce harm in your body. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I have a lot of patients who do an elimination diet and then subsequently develop kind of a fear of eating some of these foods in the future. And, you know, sometimes very rightly so because they've had such strong adverse reactions when they do introduce foods. And so I just, I really like that mindset as kind of a, a just a, a life hack. Like every time you eat something, you know, if you're doing a diet and then you go off plan, you know, not to feel guilty, but to just use it as a learning experience and make sure you document what happens. I found that documenting everything that that happens along your functional medicine journey is the most critical piece of being able to figure out you know, the, the mystery of your body. Um, I've been food journaling now for probably a good three years. And before that I was, you know, I was kind of lax about it. Like I would, I would journal maybe the first 30 days of a new elimination diet really well. And maybe like the next two weeks as I would introduce foods just to make sure that I you know, knew which foods I still needed to avoid. But ultimately do, developing that habit every day, at least of writing down what you eat and what your symptoms are is so helpful for being able to then go back and really have a record of, of what's happening. Like I, I think you know, of a functional medicine protocol as kind of like this big end of one experiment where you know, if you're embarking on a functional medicine journey, you need to look at it as like the NIH just gave you a $1 million grant for, you know, the next year to figure out what's going on with your health. And you are the head researcher and you are the main subject and you're the lead investigator. And if you don't write down what happens to you every day at the end of the year, what are you going to tell the NIH? What are you going to tell the people that, you know, invested all that money in you? If you don't have a record of it, we're not going to know what happened. And so it is, it's really, really a critical piece. And it's probably one of the hardest things for people to develop a good habit of, you know, we, we do see some regular resistance to that, to patients coming into our practice. Like, oh, do I really have to write this down? Like I'll follow the diet. I'll do whatever you tell me, but I just don't want to write it down every day. <laughs> but it, it is a very important piece of you know, just the whole puzzle. Yeah, I would, I would just yep. like confirm that too. We had, um, Davis Jasper on a few weeks ago when he was talking about weight loss and he said the simple act of journaling can improve yep. the results of following any weight loss plan by 30%. Yeah. Just journaling, just journaling alone. And when yep. people don't journal, they tend to have 30% less success. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and I know something like the autoimmune protocol is it can be a difficult dietary plan to follow. Um, and so perhaps journaling is, is one way to make that journey a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else like a tip that you would give to help people get through that, that sort of time period or what, what can help ensure success and not compliance, but sticking to that protocol. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I mean, in our practice, we've really found that support is key. So, you know, when I first started my practice six years ago, we, we didn't have any specific um, programs or, or protocols that we, you know, had designed for people. We just kind of continued along what I had been doing at the university was just, you know, seeing people for a visit here or there, whenever they felt it was, it was necessary to have some support. Um, I started my practice initially without a, a health coach, you know, I just had myself and uh, a receptionist. And what I found is that people really weren't making the gains that, you know, I, I was hoping they would start making once I finally had more time to spend with people and talk about lifestyle. But what I found was, you know, a lot of people came to me because they were functional medicine curious. They were curious about, you know, vitamins and herbs and maybe kind of the natural um, substitutes for the prescription drugs that they were taking, but they weren't truly interested in root cause or, or really changing their lifestyle. And so even though I was giving them the advice to change their lifestyle, they, they weren't into it. Like that wasn't their thing. They just wanted to show up and yeah. you know, know that a doctor wasn't going to yell at them for wanting to take, say, arm or thyroid for their Hashimoto's or, um, you know, uh, something else like low-dose naltrexone, which is a, a common prescription that we use in autoimmunity. And so what ended up happening was, you know, we switched from an insurance model to uh, a, a package kind of protocol model where we do require our patients to commit to a three-month program minimum when they become our patient. And, you know, what happened when we made that shift is people really started getting better. I mean, when wow. you have to invest your health in your health and you've got skin in the game, you know, People don't come to us anymore just because I'm nice and I don't yell at them for, for wanting to, you know, not take conventional medications. They come because they are ready to change and they are, you know, committed to doing what it takes to get better. And so it's just so fun hearing, you know, the different stories. Like we, now we have 60 year old women who come in and say, gosh, I feel like I'm 20 again. And, you know, I should have done this 10 years ago. And, so it's just been a really key for people's mindset to actually be invested in the lifestyle change and know that it is going to move them from point A to point B. That's so cool. That is so cool. I have so many people I'm in my mind recommending to you. This is so neat. Yeah. 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 And I'm just being reminded of why I loved working with you so much, yes. <laughs> but that is so key. I think that that community part of things is so important of having a support system. Um, you know, I know for me, I've been, um, I, I have followed the autoimmune protocol myself and, um, I have a friend who's on it now. And, and so we, we do meals together once a week, just because it can be sort of an isolating thing, right? When you can't have eggs and you can't have nuts and seeds and you can't have gluten and you can't have dairy and you can't have nightshades, like, whose house can you go and right. eat at? Right. Like, cause that's a, a whole list of things you have to remove. And if you're going to like go hang out with family, you have to bring your own food. And <laughs> if you go to a restaurant, you have to look at the menu ahead of time. And so I even found for myself and for my friend, who's going through the same thing, it's been such a huge thing for both of us to be able to 
once a week have a meal with a friend who's eating the way that we are and just make it more fun and more supportive and, and kind of share and commiserate along the way, because it is a challenge and you can lift each other up. So I just think in general, in life, that community is so important for so many things, but especially if you're going to follow a really intensive protocol, like the autoimmune paleo diet find your people. It's so true. Yeah. And at the beginning of the pandemic, when everything went virtual, we, um, we ended up moving all of our coaching and support services. Well, of course we still have in-person coaching with our health coach, but we moved all of our support services and educational services online. And we have an online patient support group where, you know, we do monthly challenges and people are able to reach out and find, you know, other people who are following maybe the same dietary protocol that they are, because even though a lot of people do AIP autoimmune um, protocol in our practice, you know, there are still a number of people following other diets like keto or um, GAPS diet or Whole30, things like that. And so it's been a really nice opportunity to have that continued sense of community, whereas pre-pandemic, we were having in-person support groups. We were having, you know, weekly educational webinars and cooking classes. And I haven't quite figured out a way to to feel safe about resuming doing those in-person events yet with the pandemic, but it's been a great um, kind of discovery to know how connected we can still be online. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um did you have a question? I didn't want to cut you. No, off. go ahead. I'll, I can do my Okay. Own. So you talked a little bit about um, with an autoimmune disease, there's that turnover of the immune cells after about six months. And so for anybody who's interested in the autoimmune protocol for them, do they need to stay on it the rest of their life? Is there a time, like you said, maybe six months later, they can start introducing things. And then um, Tell us about some of the success stories you've seen with the autoimmune protocol. Just give people hope is kind of what I'm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So most of the time, and, 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 you know, what's hard is every individual case is just a little bit different, but most of the time, if the immune system has, you know, kind of been calmed down all the cells have turned over that were previously sensitive to, you know, any of the foods that were taken out in the autoimmune protocol. And we've done our due diligence from the medical side, putting in all the nutrients that needed to kind of be boosted up and then were needed to repair the gut lining. At the six month mark, a lot of people are successful at reintroducing some of those foods that the diet took out. Now, it's always, even at that six month mark, it's always best to you know, do your reintroductions one by one, maybe three days apart, just to make sure that you're not having any adverse reactions from putting those foods back in. But then what I do see is most people do well on a rotational kind of template at that point, meaning, you know, if there are any maybe small reactions or adverse effects from eating eggs or nuts and seeds or drinking coffee or having chocolate or nightshade vegetables, you know, any of the things that the autoimmune diet takes out, if you at least keep it to, you know, maybe two days a week when you are exposed to those things, but then your immune system gets three or four days in between exposures to just deal with that inflammation, process it without being overloaded, most people do fine and don't have a recurrence of their disease. When flares do happen, 
it does make a lot of sense to kind of take a step back and just go back to basic AIP for a couple of weeks, you know, just as a, a mini reset for the body. Um, one example in myself actually is about a year after I had you know, re reintroduced all of the, um, the things I had taken out on AIP, I was doing this rotational pattern. You know, I knew that I could go out to a restaurant maybe a couple times a month and I'd order a salad and it might have some tomatoes and some cheese on it. And you know, I always would ask, please, no croutons because I just decided that gluten and I don't get along and it's been quite fine. But I was able to have those kind of intermittent exposures to nightshades and dairy and have absolutely no symptoms whatsoever. You know, my body was tolerating it just fine. And then fast forward to, um, I actually did Dr. Wall's uh, certification program for her, um, for her dietary implementation. And it was a four day kind of um, immersion experience up in, in Cedar Rapids, 30 miles from where I am. And we went to you know, this lovely conference at the hotel where all of the food was catered. You know, people would just bring you three meals a day of walls compliant meals and they were beautiful and there was kale and lots of colorful nightshades and bacon and you know, avocado chocolate mousse. And like, it was just such a fun experience to be like, wow, I am out of my house. I'm not cooking. And yet somebody is bringing me this beautiful paleo food, like yeah. all, all I can eat basically. And so I just ate and ate three meals a day um, for four days in a row every meal with some nightshades because nightshades are you know, an important source of the color component of her diet. And on the fifth day I woke up and I could barely get out of bed. My joints hurt so much and I was stiff oh and swollen. And I thought, what in the world is going on? And then it hit me. I just ate nightshades three times a day, four days in a row. You know, I haven't done that in two years and I have not given my body a chance to catch up and, and kind of process that inflammatory fallout. And so at that point, you know, the conference was over. It was a ton of fun. Went back to my regular rotational diet. And within a couple of days, I was back to normal. But everybody has their own tolerance point. And everybody kind of has to push the envelope to figure out what that is after the six month mark. Some people do tolerate nightshades at that point, you know, pretty regularly. And it's not a big deal. Some people tolerate eggs several days a week. Um, and, you know, some people find that there might be a certain food like dairy or or gluten that just is always going to cause a little bit too much inflammation and it's best left out. Um, but you, you just have to kind of listen to your body and honor what it's telling you and make the best decision for you. Yeah. It's all I'm noticing with our interviews, it all comes back to that self-awareness the self-investigation like I love what you said about that it's either going to heal you or teach you and just being aware and keep going on that journey it's so important um I had a question for your practice is do you find that more of your patients are more of like a severe autoimmune or do you have people that just have like mild kind of just don't feel right or what's your kind of most patients that you kind of see yeah it's a real spectrum um, we, we have patients with advanced autoimmune disease and we have patients who are just coming in looking to prevent autoimmune disease because a first degree family member might have it. Um, so, you know, we, we are comfortable working with the whole spectrum. Okay. Um, I will say well. that, 
I, I will say with advanced disease, you know, there there is significant scar tissue sometimes. And, you know, I'm, I'm always careful to be upfront with people at the very beginning of their functional journey that, you know, we may not be able to completely cure what's going on with you. And in general, with autoimmune disease, we talk about it in terms of being in remission rather than being cured. Mm because that tendency toward autoimmunity will always be there, even if we're able to get the symptoms to abate and you know, heal the gut. And even in just kind of thinking about how wounds heal, you know, if you get a big cut and you need stitches, you know, when that ultimately heals, it's only going to be about 80% as strong as the original tissue. And it's always going to be a little bit weaker. And so if there are things that, um, like in, an example would be Hashimoto's thyroiditis, where the immune system produces antibodies that gradually remodel the texture of the entire thyroid gland so that it turns it into inert collagen tissue. So it's just, it's a non-functioning tissue at that point. It's not dangerous. It's not cancer. It, it just doesn't produce thyroid hormone. Um, you know, in, in most cases with Hashimoto's, if we catch it very early, um, especially before any kind of thyroid medication is needed. I definitely have seen plenty of patients that never go on to need thyroid medication. But if somebody comes in and they've already been on thyroid medication for 20 years and you know, essentially their entire thyroid has been replaced by inert collagen tissue, I've, I have not in my practice seen that those people are ever able to go off thyroid medication. And I don't say that to take away hope, there's still a ton of improvement that happens in daily yeah. function and just how you feel in, in removing some of the bothersome symptoms. But you know, the, the mindset of someone coming in to do functional medicine when they've had a disease for a long time, you know, I would encourage people to not be kind of focused on the idea of I need to get off all medications, you know taking a thyroid medication every day for the rest of your life is not a bad thing. I right. mean, my goodness, if I needed to take one medication every single day for the rest of my life, I would gladly take thyroid medication. It's so critical for every cell in your body to function. And I certainly don't view not being able to get off that medicine as a failure mm -hmm. because if we're improving your function, if we, you know, if you come in and it's, super hard to get out of bed in the morning and all your joints hurt and you're covered in rashes. And then from there, you know, we can get you in three months to, you know, just occasional rashes when you're exposed to, you know, maybe a, a food that you're sensitive to and it goes away, you know, in a couple of days and you don't need steroid cream and you wake up with energy every morning and your joints don't hurt. Like that's an amazing turnaround. You know, that, that is life-changing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And awesome. do you have a favorite um, patient success story that you could share those? Of course, you don't have to share names, but just some of the most amazing transformations you've seen. Yeah. Um, gosh, there's so many. Um, really, the, the, the most memorable ones are some of the pediatric patients we've worked with. So I remember um, one little boy that I started seeing when he was eight years old, and now he's um, you know, already graduated high school and is, is off to college, but he, um, was just a really difficult case to diagnose, um, ended up 
you know, getting specialty care at Mayo. And essentially what was happening with him is um, two times a year, you know, just a normal sporty athletic eight-year-old boy um, in the fall for two weeks and in the spring for two weeks, he would all of a sudden become, he would lose the strength in his legs and he would be bedridden. He couldn't walk. He Like all he could do is crawl, like just so, so weak in the muscles in his legs that he really couldn't ambulate. And so his parents got a wheelchair, you know, would wheel him around. And this wasn't like an everyday thing, right? Like it was literally two weeks in the fall, two weeks in the spring. This went in for went on for a couple of years before they finally figured out what he was getting was a viral induced autoimmune um, condition involved with voltage gated potassium channel antibodies. And I mean, my goodness, I, this is nothing I learned about in medical school. I never would have thought to test for it. He ended up getting diagnosed, um, like I said, at Mayo and then came back to Iowa and still nobody really knew what to do. You know, after it was diagnosed, they just said, well, okay, those two weeks in the fall and the spring, you're going to have to be in a wheelchair and, you know, it doesn't seem to affect you the rest of the time. Um, wow. And so, you know, we, we worked on it from the nutritional side and um, testing for food sensitivities. We found that he was very sensitive to um, grains, dairy, and soy and corn was a big one as well. And then, um, he went on an elimination diet and then we started treating him with low dose naltrexone, which is a, a compounded medication that has been shown to kind of balance the immune system. And so in every autoimmune disease, there's kind of one arm of the immune system that's too active and another arm that's not as active as it should be. And taking low dose naltrexone just kind of balances that out by producing lots of endorphins. And so endorphins are kind of those happy hormones that you hear about, you know, if, if you know, any marathon runners or are a marathon runner that you can get kind of this runner's high where you just got all of these happy endorphins floating around. And when you've got a lot of endorphins, it seems to balance, you know, the TH1, TH2 arms of the immune system. Um, and so within, you know, six months of starting the low-dose naltrexone and the elimination diet, he just stopped having these episodes. He didn't need his wheelchair anymore. He stopped having these two weeks every spring and fall where he ended up, you know, not being able to walk. And it was, it was a pretty cool transformation. Um, and then the other favorite story, and of course I'm biased, but my own son, um, who's now 10, when he was about a year and a half, we were really concerned about him potentially being autistic. He, he wasn't talking. Um, he did have a, four, a, a sister who's four year, years older than him who did a lot of talking for him. You know, we weren't <laughs> too concerned. We have a bilingual household and, um, you know, bilingual children tend to talk and, and kind of follow those verbal cues a little bit slower. Um, but then he was hospitalized with um, RSV and found to have really high blood pressure and high blood sugar. And um, kind of sent us down this path of, and we were just going to all these pediatric specialists. He was losing a lot of weight. He, you know, had been normal weight his whole life. And then all of a sudden was in the failure to thrive zone. Um, nobody could figure it out. You know, we saw pediatric allergy, pediatric endocrinology, or, you know, the, our regular family practice doctor just didn't know what to tell us. Ended up um, finding out that he was extremely allergic to shellfish and peanuts. Um, and, and so just all of these kind of different organ systems, right. Were, were being affected and seemed to be set in motion by this viral infection that he had had. And so just out of pure desperation, and, you know, this is kind of in the middle of me going through my functional medicine training, 
um, we ended up trying the GAPS diet with him, the gut and psychology syndrome diet. And um, it's a, a diet that was designed by a Russian neurosurgeon turned um, nutritionist who had an autistic child of her own and designed this diet for him. Um, and essentially now he's you know, a neurotypical adult. But um, essentially what we ended up doing is just taking out sweet potatoes because that was the only thing on the diet that my son had really been eating that didn't comply with the diet. Otherwise it's kind of a, a you know, paleo diet. And within two days, he said five new words. And within two weeks, he had gained two pounds. Um, and then every month, of the six months that he then followed the diet for, he gained another two pounds. I mean, he was like wow. really gaining a lot of weight. Um, by the end of the six months, he was, you know, just a chatterbox and didn't have high blood pressure, didn't have high blood sugar, you know, was no longer allergic to peanuts or shellfish, you know, was able to eat peanut butter just fine. You didn't have to carry the EpiPen everywhere. Um, and so it was, it was kind of miraculous, like as a mother, just yeah. watching and, and knowing that conventional medicine couldn't help us in that situation. You know, it was really empowering to be able to do something to help my son and really see, you know, it, it changed his life. And so I, I since have worked with a number of pediatric patients on the GAPS diet and continues to just be really impressed by how such a simple nutrition change can have a you know system-wide effect on on physiology and the way it seems to work is just by modulating the microbiome very quickly you know within 48 hours the bacteria that was growing in his gut massively changed and he was a different boy wow that's awesome that's such an incredible <laughs> story i love that i don't yeah i don't think i really ever heard that story before when i worked with you that's amazing yeah is i'm guessing it's like no processed sugar is that probably on most of these diets yes that's probably the one tenant that holds on every elimination okay. diet okay. that we recommend within okay. functional medicine is okay. no sugar Okay. That's what I figured. Just had to clarify. <laughs> um, and then just a question that I'm, I'm kind of curious about and have been curious about for a while. What are your thoughts? Cause you've mentioned a few times on food sensitivity tests and like a, doing a food sensitivity test and eliminating those foods versus doing a just full elimination diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's a, a really important thing that a lot of patients have to kind of decide when they're starting their functional medicine journey. So the way to think about just a general elimination diet, like, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free or paleo or autoimmune protocol, um, with those diets, we're really just making a best guess of, you know, what foods might be causing inflammation and causing intestinal permeability and taking them out. And I call that the whole body test because there's really no one blood test for food sensitivities that gives you the information that the whole body test can give you. Um, and it's because every single blood test that's out there only tests kind of one slice of the immune system. If you think of it kind of like an, an onion with layers or slices, you know, there's the immune globulin tests, which you can do IgG or IgM or IgE testing. When you go to a regular allergist, they're going to do skin patch testing for IgE or blood testing for IgE, anaphylactic allergies. But if you're reacting because, you know, you're, you're getting <laughs> antibodies or you're getting IgM antibodies, 
then that test isn't going to tell you anything. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise, there's you know the the whole innate immune system consisting of like the white blood cell reactions to food that those tests don't look at. And so the the one blood test that we tend to recommend in our office is a white blood cell test because it's going to cast a much wider net over uh, kind of your body's first firewall response to foods. And even that test is not 100%. You know, it's it's not going to test those immune globulin tests. Or for example, we've had a number of people with true celiac disease take this white blood cell test um, and it will say, hey, wheat is totally fine for you to eat. And they'll say, what's going on? I can't have wheat. And you have to remind them, well, this is not testing your immune globulin A, you know, for celiac disease, which we know you have, and it's just testing your white blood cells. So we have to essentially take the Venn diagram once we get those results of the foods that we know you cannot eat and also take out the foods that we know your white blood cells are reacting to. So, you know, the the issue with the white blood cell test is that insurance does not cover it. It is probably unlikely in the near future that insurance will start covering it. And so the whole body test, the elimination diet is always going to be the cheapest way to get started. And, and I, I really encourage people to go through the experience because it is such a a transformative experience to go through. Um, Yet some people really do struggle with taking out, you know, that certain subset of foods like on the autoimmune protocol. And so it's, it's never wrong to start with food sensitivity testing. If you just want to get a very objective viewpoint of what foods are causing inflammation for my body right now, and what should I focus on? Um, I will say the best clinical outcomes that I have seen in my clinic are the combination of the AIP diet with the white blood cell testing and taking the Venn diagram of, you know, which foods does the white blood cell test show that your body is creating inflammatory cytokines to, and therefore you need to take out for six months and also taking out the foods that AIP recommends eliminating sheerly because doing that will allow the lining of the gut to heal, preventing further food sensitivities. So that's probably the most challenging thing to do, but it does give the best clinical results that I've seen. And then of course, understanding that it's only six months and in the grand scheme of things, you know, most people can look forward six months and say, okay, yeah, I I could do this. Like I see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know I don't need to follow this diet forever. I'm doing it for a very specific purpose. It's an investment in my future health. And then knowing that they're going to be able to expand with that gained immune tolerance and resilience at that point. I love that. Wow. Gosh, you are a wealth of knowledge and you you're so like powerful and graceful and smart at the same time. Like you're a gift to humanity. This is, this is really neat. I've learned so much in this, in this hour and something. Yeah. So tell our listeners, um, do you have social media? Do you have a Facebook? Do you have um, a way that they can get in touch with you or see what you're up to or learn more about your practice? Share some of that contact information and we'll link it in our show notes too. Sure. Our website is upstreamfm.com. So it's like upstream F as in functional M as in medicine. And then uh, we're on Facebook also is upstream functional med, I believe is our handle. And then I'm on Instagram as Julia Buchkina MD. 
And, you know, we, we are always happy to connect with people who are ready to get going on their functional medicine journey. Um, you know, right now our new patient visits are scheduling about a month out, which isn't too bad for a functional medicine practice. I know, you know, around the country, a lot of practices are having wait lists or, you know, needing to wait like three to six months to get in. So we, um, we definitely try to expedite any, um, any urgent cases, especially if somebody's just really struggling. Um, and then, you know, ultimately, I think that the best way you can get started, you know, if, if you're thinking about functional medicine, but not totally sure if it's for you or if the investment, just knowing that it's not covered by insurance is your next best step. You know, I always encourage people to really start just getting into the habit of journaling, like you said, and trying any one of these you know, elimination diets that are out there just to kind of see what the results are for yourself, because so many things can be um, kind of righted just with that initial taking the inflammatory things out and putting good things in. And then if after that, you know, things are confusing or you're just not sure what the next step is, you know, sometimes it really does make a lot of sense to dive in with a functional medicine practice. And, you know, what we offer beyond just guiding you through the elimination piece of it is, you know, personalized testing, you know, really just figuring out, are we totally missing something like with the gut microbiome? Do you have a parasite? Do you have candida overgrowth? You know, is there H. pylori or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you know, things that just, they're not going to get better with nutrition changes alone or lifestyle changes alone. Although the lifestyle changes are an integral part of it. We really help you figure out, you know, what, what is going on with your health? Where are you and, and where do we need to take you and what do we need to do to get, get there? It is so cool how like this, um, the alternative care is really meshing with the medical and the science and the lab testing. And I love that it's like, you're a more of a natural doctor, but you have all the science and the testing and the blood work and the, that you can see the test result. You can see the numbers. I love that kind of stuff. And I think it's really neat. I think this is the future of medicine. Here. Absolutely. And you see results. I know in the just small handful of months I worked with you, you had a lot of really amazing success stories. So thank you so much, Dr. Vuchka. This has been really such a privilege to have you on this podcast. And I know our listeners are going to get so much out of it. Yes. And yes. I'm really excited to get this episode uploaded and yeah, yes. for our listeners to have access to this just treasure trove of yes. information. Yes. God, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Of pleasure course. to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep being a warrior for all health. That's amazing. Yes. And thank you all of our listeners for listening into this week's episode and go be renegades. Go be renegades. Thank you for listening to the Renegade Nutrition Podcast. Please keep in mind that this podcast is an educational service that provides general health information. The content on this podcast is not a substitute for direct, personal, professional medical care and diagnosis. You should always talk to your doctor before making a dietary or lifestyle change. Go be renegades. Go be renegades.